Today's episode of The Doctor's Companion is brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. And welcome to episode 63 of The Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And uh, today we are back to talk about uh, more of the war games, <laughs> episodes 6 through 10. Uh, gonna finish that up. Uh, before we get to that, I want to remind everybody that we're from the website geekshowentertainment.com where we like geeky stuff. And occasionally we talk about geeky stuff like Doctor Who on podcasts like this one. Geek Show Entertainment is a podcast network that has new episodes released every week for shows that include The Doctor's Companion, as well as Movie Night at Geek Show, Have You Met Ted, A uh, Couple of Geeks, and uh, Super Geeks. And uh, you can listen to those podcasts by streaming them on the website or subscribing to the shows on iTunes. Also, you can go to the website uh, and join our community by commenting on episodes, articles, and audio blogs that we regularly post on the site. And if you've listened to any of our shows and you like what you hear, even if you don't, help us out by leaving an iTunes review. iTunes reviews are the best way for people to find our shows and decide if they might be worth listening to. You can also let us know how we're doing with comments, concerns, or suggestions by emailing the show at tdc at geekshow.us. All right, so you promised us background and significance for these final five. Um, what do you got for us? Uh, okay, well, the final five are – no, sorry. That's the wrong show. Um, the background <laughs> significance of the final five episodes of the War Games, uh, I mean, it, for one thing, it's – again, it's continuing the end of Patrick Troughton's era. Uh, it's the final Troughton story, technically speaking. I mean, he shows up again in the three, five, and two Doctors. Uh, it's also the final appearance of Jamie, although he does appear at a cameo in the fifth Five Doctors and also in the Two Doctors. Um, final for Zoe. Uh, it's the end of the Trouton era. It's the end of Black and White. Um, and it completely sets up a brand new paradigm for the entire show with uh, what is probably the biggest game changer in the show's history after the Tenth Planet, which is the regeneration. Uh, we have um, the introduction of the Time Lords and the first mention of Time Lords and the first appearance of Time Lords because uh, the War Chief is a Time Lord, if you didn't figure it out last week. Um, and uh, that's really what's most important about this. Um, it's one of those defining moments that Doctor Who is never able to escape from. Like, once you tell where the Doctors come from, that's it. That's where he's come from, and you can't really change that um, unless you reboot it with Paul McGann. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's... And make it's him a, searching for his father. <laughs> whose name is Odysseus. Um Oh boy. <laughs> uh so like that's the big that's the big revelation in this and it's such a great portrayal of the time lords probably the strong arguably the strongest portrayal of the time lords that's ever been not one that's continued uh like this uh they all get really silly very quickly after this but um they turn the time lords into one of the biggest scariest villains that's ever been um and it's, it's pretty awesome uh, so that's that's really where this where this is and why it's important because um yeah time lords time lords time lords and how <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many more times you want me to say time lords Scott uh, oh are we supposed to be moving on I see oh. okay <laughs> that was my that was my subtle hint okay yeah well, why don't we time lord our way on to the next topic. <laughs> Before we move on to our discussion of the episode, this is a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by InStockTrades.com. And this month at InStockTrades.com, you can purchase our book of the month, Why the Last Man, Volume 4, by Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra. This book is available for only eighteen fifty nine, which is 38% off the suggested retail price of twenty nine ninety nine. And remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. So thanks to InStockTrades.com. 
Yes. All right, so getting into part six. Um. Well, part six is cool because well, we're gonna first of all we're gonna break it down kind of like we did last week, just kind of going episode by episode, bringing up points of discussion that we think are worth mentioning. Um, most important thing in part six, like we were just mentioning, uh, we get the first ever mention of Time Lords. Uh, they were kind of alluded to in part five with um, mm-hmm. the uh, they were talking about. Uh, the security chief made a big deal about how the war chief is the only one with the knowledge of time space travel that is the war chief and his people and it's and it's interesting that the first mention of time lords is almost casually tossed out in this episode like by the you... secu- by the chief scientist no yeah less. yeah and like not even something that's even dwelled upon like like the chief scientist just says like by the time lords like if you blink you'll miss it like it's such a great thing especially because we know in hindsight that the time lords are going to show up in a couple episodes but like i just i love that it's such a great touch for them um to to do it that way um you don't see it coming like you expect it to be timeless 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 but not you know something so subtle as this um which is which is phenomenal we also get the reappearance of king peladin which is phenomenal yeah uh, <laughs> I don't know if you if you noticed it the first time you were watching. I mean, how could you? But uh, were you kind of a little surprised when you were watching this? Time? Yeah, when I was watching it this time, I was just like, "Uh, what's King Peladin doing here?" <laughs> <laughs> it's weird seeing him wearing pants. That's what I noticed. Um, mm-hmm. just... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't expect. Oh, it I was like, pants. "Dude, you are dressing down." What? <laughs> What is going on? <laughs> and he has real hair this time, so that's that's cool. <laughs> um, and I love that he is literally just played like a fiddle for Von Weir. Von, Von Weich, sorry. Von Weich. Um, Von Weich, who, who manages to put in his monocle and just like convince King Peladin that he can just, you know, walk away. Which is like, why did you let him do this? Like, I don't understand why they give this bad guy so much leverage. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's I just... love that in the in this story, um, that we have both we have both a uh, like a Captain Britain, and we also have like a Red Skull. <laughs> <laughs> the only problem I think, I, I think we needed them to fight. At some yeah, point. I, that's my one problem. Is Carstairs yeah. doesn't jack the Red Skull in the face? Um, yeah, that's what needed to happen. Yeah, because Von Vike is killed, which is a great sort of sequence because they just they just get sick of him and just kill him. Um, <laughs> there's also uh, this really phenomenal scene because Jamie is not dead, so the Doctor and Zoe managed to break in in what is possibly the worst guarded room in the history of like Doctor Who. Just they sneak in through the back wall. No one notices they're gone. It's not like they're quiet. <laughs> like, they just get, they just get taken, and like and like everyone just dresses up like like in in old World War One coats and, and hats and stuff, which is awesome. Zoe looks totally cute, by the way. Um and um, Zoe always looks totally cute, by the way. Yeah, Zoe is the cute, arguably the cutest companion that's ever been on Doctor Who ever. Uh, and I'm it's okay it's with it's that. very easy. Yeah, it's very arguable. I would say that's yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I also love, we mentioned it last week, but the security chief and the war chief have such phenomenal sexual chemistry. Like it is. It's, oh boy! <laughs> it's like you expect. That. Like it's almost like the war chief. Like they they had a bender. They kind of made out a bit. The security chief wanted more. Uh, the war chief was just like, no, you were just a mistake. And then the security chief has just been like, just out to get him ever since. Just like, why won't you talk to me anymore? Like, you know, why are you being such a jerk about it? Like, it's just like that. It is such, <laughs> <laughs> it's such an interesting relationship because it's not like the because the security chief is trying to to uh, to 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 dig up dirt on the war chief. He is not being subtle at all. Just not at all. Just like a time space machine. Like he's he's just a little crazy. Um, uh, all, all <laughs> the characters are so good in this. They are. They're so they're they're so specific and well defined. I I mean I don't. It's weird how I don't question any of them. Like normally you question them, but like even King Paladin, like I he's he has a bit part, like a nothing bit part, and I don't question him. Uh, although he does get really good bedhead at one point. Um, <laughs> but there's also like a really great I. 
I love this cliffhanger too. Like the cliffhanger part six, which is um, the doctor and Jamie and Carstairs having stolen the machine, trying to get away on one of these side rat cars. And the war chief is using the refrigerator magnets to shrink the dimensions of the machine is so clever. And yeah, really, really well done. Just, yeah. I mean, do they, do they ever mess with that? Like mess with the dimensions of a TARDIS after uh, this? Not after this. They did it in the Time Meddler, if you remember right. Um, they did they did shrink the monks TARDIS. Um, oh, right, right, yeah. right. That's right. But not like this. Like, this is... Like, that was kind of like a joke. This is, like, hardcore, playing straight, like, what if you were in a shrinking box kind of horror story, which is great right. and phenomenal. Um, and it's just... It's such a great thing. Um, so that's part six. Uh, part seven, we get... Phen- more phenomenal Troughton. I found myself, when I was taking notes on this, just every time I saw Great Troughton, I would just write Great Troughton, and I wrote Great Troughton, like... And it takes a lot for Troughton to impress me, just because I have such high standards. But, I mean, I wrote Great Troughton for at least every part of this story. Just at least. <laughs> there was something in every part where I was just really impressed. And, like, this, where he kind of walks out with the flag of surrender and, like, pretends that he's surrendered and then just, like, messes with everyone and, like you were saying last week, steals the refrigerator. <laughs> he just steals the refrigerator magnets. <laughs> like, just, just, like, I think he's gonna mess them around, but he just takes them off and runs <laughs> with them. And then, like, everyone's just, like, he stole the master rods. Like, somehow the doctor just took the best rods of the refrigerator magnets. Awesome. Just awesome. Um... <laughs> <laughs> they escape. They escape into the into the Roman zone of all places. <laughs> they meet up against some evil stock footage of the Romans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know the ones from the end of part two. <laughs> yeah, it was also semi time looped. I guess just, a little, just that's that's the explanation. I think <laughs> that's how. Yeah, that's how I'm justifying it. Personally, it's a time loop. Um, it's a time loop. <laughs> Not stock um, footage. Time loop. Time loop. Time. They were they were running away from something, even though, even though in the in the stock footage, it's the Romans coming up over the hill that's behind <laughs> them, and they're running away from it, from them like forward, like the diff- it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the dynamics are not the best. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these some of these Romans were cowards. Some of them not you know it was the whole thing um oh, we also man. we also meet in this part the warlord who uh doesn't remind me of steve jobs at all um <laughs> but i oh, love wow. the warlord um because he's kind of been hinted at for like a couple of parts and the amazing thing about this um we didn't really mention it last week i don't think but like the scope of the story moves so good um that the villains keep getting bigger yeah, and and to think that the Time Lords are the ultimate villains is is awesome, uh, and really builds them up because the Warlord has been built up for the past couple parts, and you expect oh, so now we're gonna get four episodes of the Warlord. Um, and the Warlord in this, like, I'm gonna be honest, he's a little scary. Like he's there's he he holds he's himself a little, really well. Yeah, he's a little too cool and confident. Yeah, especially that's because creepy, especially because the world's crashing down around him at this point. Like you know, he's barely keeping, but he's able to keep it together. Like he makes the war chief look like a blithering idiot, which is amazing because the war chief hasn't changed at all. Like that just tells you how much more focused the warlord is. Um, apparently, the warlord was played by someone who appeared in I think it was Enemy of the World, but don't quote me on that. Um, and I, I, I really want to see more of him because I think he's so excellent in this. Like, just super, super excellent. Um, we also get, and this is something I noticed, and I hadn't noticed this before, but um, everyone kind of, uh, when the Doctor, Jamie, and Lieutenant Carstairs arrive back in the World War One zone, they're captured by the evil forces of the of, um, of British forces and tried as spies. And we get, for the first time in a couple parts, uh, General Smythe uh, returns. And I think, I only mentioned this because I didn't realize this until just now, but General Smythe, who hasn't changed, much like the War Chief hasn't changed, General Smythe is the same General Smythe he was back in parts one and two and even three. Um, In this, like, it's almost like comparing the Warlord with General Smythe to show you how incredibly petty 
and small and insignificant General Smythe is like it's it's so strange to go back to him. Um, and I don't know if yeah. you felt it. Like, it oh, just, I definitely did. I was like, oh, yeah. it's him again. Mm-hmm. Huh. But, yeah, and it feels he feels so weak and insignificant like why are we wasting our time with this guy like he is just a little fly who's now about to be overtaken by this giant shark if the warlord is a shark like general Smythe is a is a fly and it's just like it the, i don't know if that's intentional by the writers to make it seem like because you know he has to come back for a reason probably because uh the guy who's um uh, I don't remember the actor's name, but whoever whoever was playing General Smythe is probably under contract for another episode. But like, it's so fascinating how he feels so small now, um, mm-hmm. and it just and it it just hammers home how big the story's gotten in just seven parts. Like how you know who I had assumed was the bad guy in the first two parts. Like I had assumed General Smythe was the bad guy of the story. Like he's not at all. And he doesn't feel like it anymore. And it's, you know, he gets shot in this and is almost in his completely afterthought, which is so interesting how, you know, I don't care about General Smythe anymore. Um, and it's, you know, it's just like clever uses for going back to places because they couldn't afford a lot of sets, which is why the barn in the Civil War zone appears a lot and the chateau appears a lot. So they use the chateau as um, a new base of operations, and they do that by shrinking in um, the time zone barriers to just the circumference of the area because the res- resistance isn't isn't affected by that. Is genius. That is absolutely. So- it's so good to like see them using their premise like this. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's it, and I love that they're still episode seven. They're still finding creative ways to do it, despite the fact that episode seven is a very slow. Nothing happens part. Like nothing really happens in episode seven. Like they escape from London. There's a lot of running around, and then the doctor's captured at the end, which is a which is a yeah, decent cliffhanger. I mean, it's not super great, but it's interesting to see that the doctor's now forced to deal with the war chief for the first time. Um, yeah, the only the only thing that I, I like find funny about that cliffhanger is that they capture him and they're carrying him by his collar while Troughton is going, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> Giving the Troughton, the Troughton whimpers and moans that he normally does. Yeah. Which, <laughs> he's just, he's so good in this. Um, well, so that's episode seven. Um, episode eight. Uh, my favorite thing about this episode is the conversation between the war chief and the doctor. Um, I don't know if you enjoyed it as much as I do because I just I don't I don't know. My girlfriend didn't really enjoy it as much as I do because I just find this like I find myself so disappointed in the time meddler that they never really utilize the meeting of the doctor and another time Lord, you know, they never, they never really utilized it. And I think that like one of the things that's so interesting about this is for the first time in the history of the series, the doctor is forced to come to terms with what it means that he left Gallifrey. Um, not, you know, Gallifrey not mentioned by name here, but it's, it's so interesting to watch the doctor try to justify his actions to the war chief and the war chief try to understand it and how they're not so different and the doctor really meeting his own kind for the first time and kind of coming to the decision that this is about to get really messy really quickly like it's so phenomenal to me that it's i don't know i'm youtubing it so if you want to see it it's arguably the best trout in this whole story which is saying something um Mm -hmm. So if you're interested, check it out, uh, comments below the feed, um, or in this episode, notes, show notes, comments, YouTube. Um, uh, yeah, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) I'm tired. Um, I think that, um, uh, again, not much happens in this, although, although we get what was a phenomenal text message you sent me today while you were watching. Um, it's about the new arrival of Arturo Villa, um, <laughs> the, the Mexicans banditos. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. The banditos. <laughs> oh, wow. They're, wow. They're not racist. That's no, not racist. <laughs> no. <laughs> they are in fact Italian. However, <laughs> it's like I'm watching a spaghetti Western just Oh wow! 
<laughs> they, like, seriously, they are the most racist depiction of Mexicans I've ever seen. <laughs> like, they might as well be, like, sitting around a campfire eating, like, refried beans out of cans. <laughs> and farting, like, in blazing saddles, you know? Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh God! But oh, I I love the I love the banditos. I just call them banditos because that's what they are. Um, They're so funny, (laughs) and they have such forceful personalities, which is why they have such a such a strong uh, resistance force. Um, We get uh, we also get a really phenomenal sequence of Jamie um, meeting with the bandito leader Arturo Villa, and I love this because again, Jamie like they do such a good job of tying up all the character arcs of the story. Like Zoe, when she's first found is kind of like a robot um, and not very humanized, but in this, she is incredibly compassionate and warm and, you know, very good with people. Like she is able to, to converse normally like a normal person. Um, Jamie, on the other hand, is now like a full fledged acting like a general, which is a great choice for them to do. Um, and just such a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. Um, and we also get the really smart resistance strategy of everyone teaming up to attack bunkers of, um, of, uh, of the war games people, and then just like calling away all the security and then calling in one of those side rats and then ambushing the place because all the security is out, uh, trying to, um, trying to, uh, 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 Whatever. You know what I mean. Um, trying to contain the situation. There we go. Um, and I think this is cool, again, because it really plays on the notion of all the resistance coming together and becoming a unified whole, which is a strength of theirs, but also minimizing the weakness of that by not getting everyone in one place and everyone just going aside and acting as, like, you know, one big entity that's attacking a bunch of different places at once. Like, it's so smart to me in the way that um, the rest of the story is played very smartly. Um, and I love that about this. Like it, it, every all the plans are really smart. All the everything is really smart. Um, and then we end on a cliffhanger where the doctor calls Jamie, Zoe, Lieutenant Carstairs, and the Banditos and other Resistance fighters back to the War Games main complex. And the doctor um, has been talking to the War Chief, and the doctor's like, "Oh, I got free," and he calls everyone back into. The, everyone arrives there, and the doctor's like, "Oh, it's good to see you." And they just get out of the side rat, and the doctor's like, "Everyone, don't move. This is a holdup, and you guys are now taken captive." And I mean, end of part eight, the doctor betraying everyone is also a phenomenal cliffhanger. That's that's a fantastic cliffhanger. Yeah, especially it, like it's probably my favorite of mm-hmm. all of them. I mm-hmm. really like that clip right mm-hmm. here. Uh, my favorite's nine, but like, I mean, this is probably a, sec- a close one, especially because like, this story has done such a good job of like subverting all my expectations that all of a sudden, it's now become um, like it's at this point the doctor's betrayed them, and you know, I mean, spoilers, it, he hasn't really betrayed them, um, but. Uh, Anything can happen at this point. Like, you just, you don't know what to expect. You just, you don't know what to expect. And it could, anything could happen. And it's so ridiculously strong. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, part nine, we find out that um, there's a ticking clock on the War Chief side rats, which is good. Um, and I like that because, you know, the doctor realizes that because the War Chief is working them on refrigerator magnet remote controls, that. Um, they can't work forever, so they're actually running out, and the doctor and the war chief plans to cannibalize the doctor's TARDIS. And we find out that the doctor was really just putting on an act, and he, um, and so he gets put in with the banditos and everyone. I'm just gonna call them banditos because I'm really amused by that. That's um, fine, I love that that's what they're called. <laughs> the banditos, um, banditos, banditos. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> the war chief has also discovered um, the the security chief who is so proud to have found this information finds out that the war chief is planning to usurp the warlord and take over um, after the warlords uh, after the warlords taken over the universe the war chief's going to kill the warlord and take over and the doctor's going to be his right hand man I love the security chief is so vindicated <laughs> there's like the tiniest hint of a smile and he's just swelling with pride 
and his glasses are still as googly as they always were. It's just, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> and there's a great fight where the war chief manages to break, they manage to break everyone free by using, by tricking the, um, the, the mind processor in which the, the bandito, of course, because you know, he's Mexican. Ah, they said it, not me. Um, doesn't <laughs> get the, uh, that the, um, the thing isn't set to, uh, to danger setting. So they just, he's just like, your machine no work. I am, I am still a resistance fighter. And the doctor's like, no, no, sh- 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 it's okay. It's okay. It's all right. It's just, <laughs> which I think is just like way to just almost blow it for everyone. Like seriously, just way to almost, he's like, I am too strong for you. <laughs> totally sounds French there. I don't know why. Um, so we get a big fight, which I also love. Um, I also YouTube this because I, when I was doing this for my blog, I was just like, this is nine minutes of footage I just have to show. Um, because you have um, the, uh, the, 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 the doctor and, um, and everyone just kind of all get together. They rise up against the war chief and the warlord, and there's no security left because the security is still out trying to take care of the situation outside and um, managed to take over. The security chief is killed, which is phenomenal. Just mur- just gunned down like a bird. <laughs> <laughs> He's so funny. He, like, twitches. It's adorable. Um, and the doctor... and But the doctor realizes... And this is so good. And this is, this is why it's YouTube. But, like, the doctor realizes that the side rats only have enough power for two more journeys, which is not enough to get everyone home. And the doctor has to just bite the bullet and say, I'm going to call in the Time Lords. This is a Time Lord situation. And I'm going to do this. And from here till the end of the story, so two episodes worth, Troughton gives the performance of Doctor Who, as far as I'm concerned, minus Davison and Caves, um, where he yeah. just, like, he is just torn up about this. He is panicked. He's like, I have to leave. He is ready to leave Jamie and Zoe. He creates a hypercube, which you might remember from um, uh, the Neil Gaiman Doctor's Wife story from this past season of the new stuff, um, which is which is where that comes from. Um, and he calls the Time Lords. The War Chief's killed by the Warlord, uh, the warlord is taken captive, and like I love that the warlord has been defeated essentially. But the doctor like is trying to get away. He's trying to get to one of these side rats, and the warlord does this great thing where he's just like smug in his defeat. Like it's okay because the doctor's about to get his comeuppance, which is such a smart thing to do. Um, they let Lieutenant Carstairs back. <laughs> to search for Lady Jennifer who disappeared at the end of part five, which I find touching and heartbreaking because you know they probably never saw each other again. Um, And we get what is, to me, probably the strongest cliffhanger, one of the strongest cliffhangers in Doctor Who history of the Time Lords descending. Time is starting to, like, slow down and the Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe just racing for the TARDIS in slow motion and the Doctor gets the key in in the keyhole and then just collapses... I love this cliffhanger. I like for me this is the cliffhanger of the war games because the time lords are descending. They're the final bad guy that is going to be in the story and the doctor's not going to get away. Just like it is a brilliant ending. Just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Love this so much. Going to be in the YouTube and all that gorgeousness. And then we uh, and then we get into the final part, and it's all time wars all the time. <laughs> it's really it's weird how it's almost like an epilogue to the whole story and um, the Trouton era, kind of like this is the mm-hmm. this is the this is it, and it's yeah, it's just it's a great part, like just one of the best Doctor Who episodes I've ever seen. It, it practically stands alone too. Yeah, mm-hmm. which almost is like. Really interesting. Almost like you could do the war games as a nine-part story and then just have the last part called uh, The Judgment of the Time Lords or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, so, it's so weird. And the Time Lords, too, like, I love that the Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe get into the TARDIS and the Doctor's, like, trying to get away, despite the fact that he kind of knows he can't. He's like, I'm still going to try. Um, and the Time Lords just mess with him. Like... They just they start breaking down the time the 
TARDIS walls and like you know the Time Lords could literally just pull him to where they want him to go but they're just like you know they're sh- they're almost just showing off to show him or remind him how powerful they really are and it's such a I don't know it's such a tense scene when they're there's water coming into the TARDIS and they're and they're stuck in space and they're stopped moving like it's just it's all so strong and then mm-hmm. we get uh the warlord being judged by the time lords and uh they mess with him just <laughs> just to just to watch him scream just i don't know they just shut him down which is yeah insane and it's it's nuts because just like two episodes ago he was the scariest thing in this episode and they're just playing him like a fiddle just like nothing else it is also side note if uh you're one of those apple haters out there and you really want to see steve jobs in pain <laughs> look no further <laughs> <laughs> just watch this because steve jobs screams in pain man he, just, <laughs> yeah. he is a screamer that's for sure um i just i love this part and i don't have a crazy whole lot to say about it except to highlight i guess a couple things one that um uh, Bernard Horsfall, who's is in this. Um, Bernard Horsfall is one of the quieter Time Lords in this. You might recognize him as Chancellor Goth from The Deadly Assassin. Um, uh, oh, also, yeah, he's he's the middle Time Lord. Um, which so you is, get a promotion later, yeah, or something. Like you could almost argue that he is um, he is the same character, which is awesome. And he also might recognize him. I know you might recognize him from recently. He plays. Um, Oh, I can't say that without spoiling the whole story. He plays a traveler in the Mind Robber um, as oh. a character. Yeah, yeah. So he's from that. So he's like one of those triple threat Doctor Who guys who appears over and over again. Um, God, the Mind Robber. <laughs> really good. This is better. Um, <laughs> but but like I love that. The warlord tries to escape. Troughton puts on his ho oh, oh, ho oh, ho act, which is always awesome. Um, mm-hmm. no, no one cries in terror like Troughton. Um, nope. And uh, he, uh, the warlord tries to escape, and they just like the time lords in this are the scariest they've ever been because they just like their their response to the warlord acting like such a douche is they just, they go, we're wiping you from history, we're taking your planet, cordoning it off into its own time bubble, and we're just going to wipe you off the face of time. Which is so dark. Just, like, the darkest thing in the world. Like, they eradicate an entire planet simply because they don't like the planet. Which is, like, you know, I mean, I love the Time Wars later, like in Deadly Assassin, but... It seems cool. like that's the definition of getting involved. Yeah, yeah. Just like, putting that out there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also funny because they also, like, you can almost say that it's not because they're not really in, in, involving themselves in anything because that thing doesn't exist. So, yes. Um, <laughs> and then we get the end game, which I'm YouTubing. YouTube might have taken it down if it has. I'm sorry. It's like seven and a half minutes, though. And it's the final end of Troughton. Which is awesome because Jamie and Zoe beg to see the Doctor again. The the, the Time Lord guy who's hilarious, got a great voice, um, says, All right, fine. Um, and it's a touching reunion. They go on one last adventure where they try to get to the, the TARDIS. And when they get to the TARDIS, um, the Time Lord show up and say, You've had your fun. It's over. And Jamie's like, Well, I'll fight you. And the Doctor, <laughs> like, in what is to me the defining moment of this whole thing, just says, Jamie, it's over. And and Jamie's like, no, it's not over. And then and then um, the Doctor's like, no, goodbye, Jamie. Like, it's such a so heartbreaking to watch. Like, every yeah. time I watch it, I want to cry because it's so impossibly sad to watch the Doctor just give up because he has given up. And, you know, Zoe's like, don't forget me. And and I don't want to f- ever forget you. And the Doctor's like, I could never forget you. And he sends them off. And as soon as they leave, the Time Lord guy goes, the, the Doctor's like, they're not going to remember me. And the Time Lord guy's like, no, they'll remember their first adventure with you, but nothing after that. And you're just like, oh, they gave me the Donna Noble ending. Oh, like, <laughs> just like 40 years early, they gave me the Donna Noble ending for Jamie and Zoe, who are some of my favorite companions. And for no reason, like, and I mean, it's not like they played it a lot back then, but like, 
Jamie and Zoe were so much better with the Doctor around them, like like Donna was, and it's just oh, talk about just twisting the knife. Just, yeah, just, and for no reason, no yeah, reason at all. Simply because they do. Like it's it's insane, and it's it's so heartless. And the same thing is true for Troughton. Like I love when he puts up his his defense and he says, "I'm defending the universe for you." Um, I'm defending against the Daleks and the Cybermen and the Yeti and the whatever was in the Dominators. Um, <laughs> no, it's a lame story. Um, <laughs> like, it's just like, I'm defending the universe for you. And the Time Lords are like, okay, well, we'll consider it. And what is the Doctor's... Like, the Doctor does not get wiped from existence, but he is still punished and exiled to Earth, as we know, in the unit years. And, like, for the Doctor to be forced into a regeneration by the Time Lords is dark. For the for this Doctor, who, much like Tom Baker's Doctor, has been such an epic wanderer, and, like, just, you know, going out and, um... and, like, trying to save the world and just going on adventures, because this is his... He's infinitely curious and just wanting to go out and explore. For him to be defined to Earth, uh, confined to Earth, with no memory of his TARDIS... Or, like, no knowledge of how to put his TARDIS back together, but knowing that he can go out there is such an insult. Like, it is the most degrading insult and punishment I could think to give the Doctor, and it's done in this story. And I just, I love that, but it breaks me. And it's also, like, that Troughton's regeneration alone also breaks me, just watching him divide and twist and shout like it's so inevitable and what's interesting is at this point in time they hadn't cast Pertwee like Pertwee wasn't even cast hell they didn't even know if Doctor Who was coming back like at this point Doctor Who was about this close to getting cancelled and that's why the Pertwee era is basically a page one reboot of the series um but they didn't even know it was coming back they didn't know it was Pertwee so they can't show you Pertwee like so Pertwee first shows up in Spearhead from Space so like you don't even get the catharsis that you have of seeing the new doctor. Like, you know, even something in caves where you see Colin Baker and it's all okay. Cause Colin Baker shows up or end of time where it's all okay because Matt Smith shows up or any other doctor who story, you don't get that here. Like all you get is the doctor <laughs> spinning off into space and not knowing what happens next. It is the mm-hmm. ballsiest ending to any doctor who story. I think that's ever been made. If you ask me just, yeah. and it's so dark. <laughs> Yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it and, and how long was it before Pertwee premiered after this? Six months at least. Yeah. Like at least six months because I think Pertwee aired in like January 1970 and this is like mid-1969. So it's like six months, which is insane of a cliffhanger to be left on. And I mean there was an article, a great article over at Den and Geek talking about um, – the most recent Good Man Goes to War, spoilers for Good Man Goes to War, not that anyone needs that warning, but talking about how if that was a true game changer for Doctor Who, um, I'm going to be honest, this is the biggest game changer Doctor Who's ever had. Like, just yep. in terms of, like, even more so than Tenth Planet, because, like, you hit a regeneration, you kill off all the companions, essentially kill off all the companions, um, and you basically send the show into a completely new direction where it's essentially rebooted from page one with an entirely different premise with Spearhead from Space. That's insane. That's Mm -hmm. crazy to me. And it's just like, it's such a phenomenal send-up for Troughton. And it's such a phenomenal ending. And it's ballsy. And it's, oh God, I love this story. Um, Also, should we talk about the 6B theory? I would love to talk about the 6B theory. Okay. So this is season six. This is the end of season six when yes. when Pertwee starts up. That's season seven. But there's a theory out there that there's a missing, not not like a literally missing, but like a missing season, six uh, B. Yeah. Um, do you want to do you want to tell people about that? Yeah, it's this theory that because we don't see the Doctor really regenerate in this, or because we don't see the Doctor from moment to moment, there's an entire possible span of time between the end of the war games and the beginning of Spearhead from Space, where it's possible that the Doctor has been used, like, as part of his service as a Time Lord, uh, or, you know, part of his service of his exile or his punishment, he is forced to work for uh, for the Time Lords as part of the CIA for years and years and years, uh, possibly centuries. The CIA being... The being... Celestial Intervention Agency. Um, oh, there you go. Cheeky, cheeky. Because people Robin are going to be people are going to be scratching their head. 
<laughs> yeah, it's the doctor working for the FBI. It's very yeah. strange. Very, very strange. Um, but it's an idea that's actually been perpetuated because, like, how do you explain Troughton showing up in the th- – excuse me, the three doctors, the five doctors, the two doctors. And the idea is that he had his brain wiped during the time so that he doesn't remember any of it. But like, I don't know, I've seen the two doctors and that story is just begging for this theory to be true. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Yeah, well, because he, he mentions to Jamie, because Jamie's in that episode with him, and he mentions to Jamie like uh, the events of the war games, which Jamie isn't supposed to remember. Yeah, it's it's so weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little strange, but it's also like it's I, I personally subscribe to this theory because how cool is that? And it also explains why the Time Lords suddenly feel it's OK after, you know, two regeneration, two incarnations of the doctor. They don't get involved at all. Not once. And then all of a sudden they're visiting him for Terror of the Autons to warn that the Master's showing up. They send him off to the colony in space. They send him off to Paladin. They interfere and tell him to basically destroy the Daleks and Genesis of the Daleks. Like, all of this explanation is really, like, it just feeds into the 6B theory. And I know it's a little poppycock, but, like, I love things that kind of explain some stuff and make the theory a little bit cooler. Like, and... To to make things also clear, while I do like this theory, I don't want to see any of these stories that happen. I don't. Well, because you don't you don't really want to see Troughton like that. Yeah, um, and being used in that in that way because it's it feels so out of character. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it makes total sense as to how he becomes Pertwee. Yeah. Um, and it and it, it adds a little layer to like you know he has to serve his time additionally, which is telling you how much the Time Lords are pissed that they have to get involved in the events of the war games. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's just so strong. And it you know it also enhances this story. And anything that kind of enhances existing material is always cool to me. Um, stuff that you know doesn't enhance is not as cool. Um, but yeah, that's the six B theory, and I just. You know, I love this story, and I've long said that my top three classic stories are um, uh, The Caves of Angelzani, The Towns of Wang Chang, and Pyramids of Mars. I think this tops Pyramids of Mars for me. Like, this might yeah. be my top three, just because it's so good. After No 10-episode story that is four hours long has any right to be this good. Because, That's a fact. Because <laughs> you expect to be drilling your eyes out at the end of episode, like, four, but... That never happens, even by episode 10. And it's so ridiculously well-structured. Like, making the Time Lords the ultimate bad bad guys is so ballsy. And for them to, like, be built up so well is so good. It's just, it's a masterful story. And it really it's the, is. And it's the best Troughton story. Like, Troughton never gives a better performance than he does in this story. And he's yeah. so good at playing defeated and um, exuberant and lost and confused and it's i don't know i don't know it's it's just so good it really is it really Mm -hmm. is all right well uh before we want before we move on i want to remind everybody that uh today's episode is brought to you by dcbservice.com dcbs is the site that lets you order all your monthly comic book statues action figures basically anything you could buy at a local comic book shop you could buy at dcbservice.com you place your orders Three months in advance with monthly discount specials up to 75% off. Uh, last month they did all all uh, number one 52 DC issues, uh, the reboot that they're doing. Uh, this month they're doing it again, 50% off all of DC's number two issues. Wow. Yeah. So wow, that's impressive. Yeah. yeah. So um, if, you, if you did the reboot thing, uh, you can get the second issues again for the same price. Um, in fact, a little cheaper because I think a couple of the number ones are three ninety nine, and they're not. The hmm. number twos are not, so hmm. a little bit cheaper. Awesome. Um, and then, of course, regular discounts are forty percent off. Plus, if you pre-order your collected editions, you can usually save fifty percent off those. Ship as often as you like with orders as large or small as you like, and uh, you pay five ninety five flat rate shipping. So, thanks to DCBService.com. All right, let's uh, let's get into Torchwood talk. Categories of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this episode kind of um, it added a little bit more structure to the mythology, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I I feel like it. You're right. The first half is the weakest 
that that this this run has had so far. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't I don't think it's bad. I just think it's. I mean, it's not even. It's still better than anything Torchwood's ever had before. I think. Yes, um, I agree. Yeah. So I, you know, also, I, I just think it's yeah. a lot of it's a lot of exposition to get through, and I mm-hmm. feel like they they did it well enough that it still felt like I was watching a Torchwood movie. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. So I it, I don't know. It didn't bother uh-huh. me so much. And it also it like the story had to slow down at a certain point. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, after four episodes, no, is this is a five episodes. This is the fifth episode. Yeah. Um, fifth. After four episodes of nonstop roller coaster action, for it to slow down and kind of like I only say it's weird because I don't know. I felt like it was a bit of a leap. Like there was a they, they asked me to take a bit of a leap on this one. Just you know that the camps are already started. That they're this well put together so far, like so quickly. Um, I know that it was planned, but like you still have that's a lot of infrastructure to get through, and a lot of paperwork to fill out. Um, are you speaking? Are you talking about the categories of life? Yeah. Okay. Well, not even the categories of life. Not even like the categories of life. I understand is getting together really quickly, but like putting together that much manpower to get together these camps this quickly is. Oh, nuts I to see. Me. Yeah, gotcha. it, it was a it was a bit of a leap. Um, I mean, once we got into the camps and everyone started investigating, I think it was fine. Um, but like getting to there was it was a little bit of a stretch for me, just just in terms of. Um, asking me to go there with them. Like I was, I was, I've been pretty okay with it so far um, because I, I, I have been enjoying all of the conspiracy stuff. I just think that the, it was a bit of a leap at the beginning, but once we got to the middle sections and um, we're about to go into spoilers, uh, this had a really dark ending. <laughs> like, oh, seriously. Oh, ovens. Oh ovens. my God. Oh my God. Ovens. The, yeah. Uh, uh. We're going to go into spoilers right now. So uh, if you haven't seen this, stop talking um but um but lady listening. doctor lady doctor yeah i was shocked that they killed her oh like, wow i was not expecting that <laughs> like i was like oh she's now part of the torchwood team she's gonna be i think that's why out. they did it i think yeah. that's why because they they made a big deal out mm-hmm. of her being a part of the team or whatever and like mm-hmm. welcoming her to torchwood mm-hmm. and then adjust to kill her so that yeah because you would think well she's safe yeah. Well, it felt like the Jane – like, you know, Jane Espenson wrote this. We're big fans of Jane Espenson. It felt like the Jane Espenson hit the Joss Whedon influence a little bit. You know, how uh, – spoilers for Buffy, how Tara and Willow get together and then, you know, bad things. Yeah, um, right. It felt kind of like that because when she was shot, I was like, oh, she's going to be okay. And then Conrad Eckley – that's how I know him from CSI. Conrad Eckley throws her into the room. I'm like, oh, that's not so bad. I mean, it's not like there's zombies in there. And then all of a sudden he turns on the furnaces and I'm just like, oh, that's dark. And now I'm like, why are there furnaces? Like, I'm so interested by that more than like, besides the fact that it's really grisly, now they have all this basically sentient ash that they can just use, which is so dark. Um, I don't know where they're going with it. And I'm so excited and enticed and interested. Um, yeah, because that's the thing is like they're burning them, but they're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> They're still very awake, as we know from the first episode. Like, it's not like they're going away. They're still... Yeah. Like, I'm, and I'm so interested by this new development. Like, all of it... Like, it's kind of like a weird left turn that this story's taken. And I'm interested... I'm so interested to see where it goes. And, like, the worst part of it all... The worst part of it all is that uh, Rex is watching her oh! burn. Watching oh! her burn and can't get in... And then once he realizes he can't get in, he realizes he has a job to do and starts filming it. Oh, God. Mackie Pfeiffer killed this. Mackie Pfeiffer – like I know we've been hard on him and we came back a little bit last week. But like my heart broke for him when he watched that. That was such a – that was an amazing performance by him because you know it's coming and you're just like, oh, no. Yeah, as soon as – like literally as soon as the doors locked, I was like – Oh no, they're ovens! Oh, oh my god! god. Oh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I'm I'm loving Mickey Pfeiffer in this. Finally, um, I'm really liking him in this. And yeah, he's toned it down. Yeah, and he's got he's just got a bit more human. Not quite yeah. so. I'm the American. As I think he f- fell into uh, he fell into a thing that a lot of actors do when they get hired for a sci-fi show and they ham it up. Mm-hmm. Because they think that's what you're supposed to do on a sci-fi show. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think that now, five episodes in, he's realizing this isn't that kind of show. Yeah. And he's not playing that kind of character. Mm-hmm. And he's also, so. they've they've really made a step in the writing to really sort of develop his character a little more, which is a great move on their part. Like, yeah, he's definitely. so much more human now than he was before. Which Definitely, is, which, is, which is really really great. Um, also, I I I texted you this. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it here. Uh, seriously, like whatever water Heath Ledger was drinking when he when he did the Joker, that's what Bill Pullman's drinking because yeah. this is a this is a performance to that level. Yeah, it's yeah. this is this is this is like he is stealing the show in this. Like oh yeah, every like every time we come back to him, I'm like oh god, if this was a show just about him, like this would be really dark and all that. But him talking to Jilly, him talking to Jack, him giving a speech which I wanted to hate, but it was just like I see this was so good. Bill, I don't know what's up. What Bill? You're right. Bill Pullman's drinking something, and it is called really good talent. Um, <laughs> not that I don't think he's talented. Because he clearly is, but this is like he is getting better, which is insane. That scene um, between him and Jack was so so good, so oh, so good. Especially because like it's all it was also uh, not to completely detract from Bill Pullman, but it was also really well written by Espenson. Like you don't, it was such a good study of drama of how characters interact with people. Like like how Bill Pullman was gonna take was he gonna take Jack's speech? Was he not gonna take Jack's speech? Was he listening to Jack? Was he not listening to Jack? Was he sympathizing with Jack? Was he not? And then for them to turn it around and basically for Bill Pullman to say that we are angels, which was so genius. Like, such a gorgeous speech. Um, Horribly, horribly gorgeous. Um, And then for him to say, to basically use Ficor and say, Ficor knew this was coming, so Ficor are the prophets, is nuts. And for him to just, like, Take the great like you still realize that he's servicing himself by by servicing Ficorp and serving Jack. Like he doesn't quite trust Ficor, but he's also like kind of working with them, but also working against them. Like it's just it's such a perfect performance from him that yep. he's he's nailing it. Um, and uh, far be it for me to not mention Lauren Ambrose, but. I am loving her more every week. Oh man, that that scene where she was watching his speech was an amazing performance. Oh, because she was on the edge of her seat, and I was like, "I feel you, girl. I'm with you." Yeah, um, it's. I, this is this is again first half of this notwithstanding, this back half was the best of this. Um, yeah, the best of Torchwood because this does what this this show is supposed to be doing, and I loved watching. Esther too, like I mean, we're bouncing all over, but Esther too was good in this too, where yeah. she was breaking in and and trying to do, um, trying to do that. Like it's just, it's it's so good and so well plotted. It's a little out there, but I don't really care. I'm having such a good time, and it's so mind blowing. The and how crazy is it that we're not even talking about John Barrowman, like who was up till this point the star of the show, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, and now he's almost an afterthought. It's yeah, crazy. A really strong afterthought. But oh yeah, afterthought. it's not that he's bad. He's just basically Christian Bale in The Dark Knight, like right. acting up against Gary Oldman as Gordon, Aaron Eckhart as Denton, Heath Ledger as the Joker. Like you're always going to be the afterthought, but that doesn't make you bad. That just means that you're doing exactly what you need to be doing. Right. And Jack is Jack is doing that. Like Jack is still giving a great performance. Like that great part of the beginning where he's like he's talking to Esther, and Esther's like, "So how old are you?" And he just kind of looks at her, and you're just like, "Why have you not told these people yet? Like they're working with you. Just tell them that you're thousands of years old. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm loving this, oh, and I can't man. wait for next week. I just, yeah. I can you wait. believe? Can you believe we're halfway through? I'm sad. Because, I know because I know. because the worst part is they also came out and said that uh, they don't know when they're when or if or when they're doing a Torchwood season five. So like this might be. I know we said it before, but like this might be the last Torchwood we're getting, and I'm sad that it's half over. Um, <sighs> I'm but, especially because it's the best. Yes, yes, and I I I don't know what they're gonna do with Bill Pullman, and I'm getting more and more nervous every week. 
seriously, that last shot of just him in the in the spotlight was just such a great shot. Yeah. Just, oh man. I'm... I can't. I. I seriously. I don't know where this is going. I have no <laughs> idea where this is going at all. It keeps, it keeps changing. Like, why are there ovens? Why are they know. there? I don't get uh, it. This is so good. Oh this man, is so good. Yeah, yeah. It's excellent. Yeah. They killed off Doctor Juarez. Why? Why? Why did they kill off Doctor Juarez? I don't know. And you didn't even like her. I didn't like her. I did not like her, and I was so sad when she died. Yeah, Mecky Pfeiffer made me care. I blame Mecky Pfeiffer. <laughs> um, oh, all right, geez. so next week is the Invisible Enemy, uh, Tom Baker story that we will be recording live from Chicago Comic Con, which we will be at uh, August eleventh through the fourteenth. So if you're going to be in Chicago, um, drop us a line and and we will visit with you. Yeah, um, I think. We're recording that on Saturday. Thursday, we're going to go see Attack of the Block. Maybe we can do a tweet up or something. Maybe possibly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think we have plans Friday night in particular. No. No. Maybe not. All right. But anyway, <laughs> Chicago Comic Con, 11th through the 14th. Uh, be there. Yeah. Or be yeah. square. Yeah. Cha-ching. Uh, articles on the site this week. Uh, Matt, you wrote one uh, in which uh, you talked about uh, AMC having some issues. Yeah, not very pleased with AMC right now. Yeah. So I, yeah. I needed to vent a little bit. Not because yeah. I'm angry, just because I think that AMC is squandering some goodwill right now. Uh, yeah. And that's unfortunate. And it's a it's 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 a really it's a really good article, so everybody oh, should uh, definitely check that out, especially if you re- you watch any AMC shows. Mm-hmm. So, um, audio blog this week, uh, we reviewed Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Which you should go see. Yeah, um, if you haven't seen it, it's the movie of the summer. Yeah. that, that yeah. Uh, Spoilers for our review. Um, also, talk of what would be awesome with gorillas, which is always cool. <laughs> and other apes. <laughs> and other apes. Possible future sequels. <laughs> uh, so uh, good. The the Godfather is involved. That's yeah. all we'll say. That's yeah. all we'll say. Yeah. Um, so, Movie Night at Geek Show. Uh, this week, we're going to have episodes for Stardust and uh, Labyrinth. So, mm-hmm. if you like either of those, uh, check those out. And then, of course, um, you know, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm twitter.com slash Scott Corelli. Uh, Matt? I'm twitter.com slash Gungadin. You can follow my alternate Twitter account, uh, GD Commentary, where we live tweet other things. Uh, we've been slack on Sunday Trek. We didn't do it this week because um, internet issues. Uh, but we'll be back. I don't know if we're going to do this week because of Chicago. I'm going to be flying. Uh, but yeah. we'll probably come back next week. Um, if you're also interested, I'm also going to be live tweeting responses to uh, Doctor Who Season 6 um, starting, I guess, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after Um uh, I'm going to be going through episode by episode, uh, one a day, talking about uh, just basically live tweeting thoughts on um, these uh, the the season six stories so far because we're only a couple weeks away from the new stuff, which is super exciting. Less than three weeks at this point, which is awesome. Um, so look for that. Uh, it's coming up. Um, I'm also still blogging, classicalgallifreyblogspot.com. Uh, this week I'm talking about Attack of the Cybermen, which is a massively controversial story, and a lot of me talking about things that anger me uh, because <laughs> I hate it. Um, so look for that. And coming up next, uh, coming up next. Well, I mean. I'll talk about next week when they talk in Invisible Enemy. But if you can see it on the site, go visit it. I have Doctor Who reviews and stuff like that. Classic story all the time. Blah, 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 blah. Scott, what's up? <laughs> uh, and, you know, not, not, not much left. Uh, just go to the website, geekshowentertainment.com. Uh, email us, tdc at geekshow.us, and leave some iTunes reviews. We will see you next week from Chicago. Bye. Bye, guys. I'll be drunk. Me too. <laughs> and belligerent. Oh, God, I'm going to be so angry and swearing. Again, don't bring your kids. We'll bring a warning, but don't bring your kids. Earmuffs. Sorry. Yeah, earmuffs. <laughs> but don't shoot people. Okay. Quinn Cooper earmuffs. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. We'll talk to you Bye. Next week.